Have fun, kids. Okay, we're going to transition. I'm going to pray. Father, we just ask for open hearts. We ask, Father, for revelation to come forth. And um, may the message release bring forth much fruit in our lives and much fruit in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of course, everything that happened today here and in America, across the globe, God knew it would happen. Every minute detail, God knew it would happen, right? In fact, he knows everything that's going to happen tomorrow and next year and as, as far as creation exists. God knows it. He's not a guesser, right? He knows it. So um, the term for that is omniscience. God is omniscient. He is all Knowing Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind, every thought, every feeling, every need, every want. God knows what I want. So the question is, if that's the case, what's the point of prayer? And I'm opening that up. What, what's, what's the point of prayer? Anybody just throw out. He knows it all. Why, why do we pray? Training. Conversation, relationship. Yeah? It releases it into the world. Okay. Agreeing with what God says. God's inviting us to participate with him. And I would say yes to all of that. The reality is um, we are not in a strictly deterministic creation where God is making everything happen and we make nothing happen. That's a false view of reality. The Bible does not paint that kind of a picture. The Bible paints a picture where God has given authority to mankind, authority to affect the future, the present, based on their will. He's created us with the power to even affect him, right? God grieves in chapter 6 in Genesis. He grieves that he even made mankind. Would you create something just to grieve you? Probably not, right? So we're thinking of the, the, greater, the greater purposes behind prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of the Lord's prayer, right? Thy kingdom come. Why do we pray for the kingdom of God to come? Why did Jesus teach his disciples to pray for the advancement of the kingdom? Does that imply that unless we pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God, it's not going to advance? Is that possible? Is it possible that he's given us so much authority as Christians that if we say yes to prayer, if we say yes to praying without ceasing, if we say yes to praying in the power of the Holy Spirit according to love, that we're going to see a future that's different, that has more fruit, more transformation, as opposed to if we chose to do something else than pray. I believe... The Bible teaches that. In fact, in James chapter 4, verse 2, 
it says, you do not have because you do not ask. Right? So we heard a few people mention relationship. We're, we're talking Father's Day. If you are an omniscient father, would you just not want to relate to your son or daughter? And just like, oh, I know you need this. I know you want this. I know you want this. Or would you like your son or daughter to come to you with their needs, share their heart, choose you, and then respond to that need in order to show them how much you care and to establish bonding? Which would you choose? The impersonal way or the personal way? Personal, probably, right? God is a very relational God, right? In the book of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 19, and this may be Paul, but it may not be Paul, the apostle. It says, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So this Christian leader is in such a predicament, he's in some sort of entrapment, it seems. We don't know exactly what it is. But he's writing this prayer request to a group, the recipients of the Hebrew letter. In this particular statement, he is suggesting that if they pray, that is going to cause a shifting in his circumstances that allows him to be set free. Okay? So he realizes the authority that God has placed upon Christians to labor in prayer, intercession, and that literally will change circumstances. Now, he could pray, and I'm sure he was praying. He must have believed it was the will of God for him to be liberated, but yet he wasn't. Does that mean sometimes things happen that are opposed to the will of God? Is that... That might be hard, for, right? Okay. Depending on our, on our bents towards certain, is, certain isms, we may answer that differently. And I'm not going to get into the, all that theological debate right now. But what I will say is this. The author of the Hebrews and Paul, the writer of Ephesians, has a spiritual warfare understanding of reality. He understands that we are at war. As Tim said, there is a force of darkness that is opposed to us, that is opposed to the kingdom of God, and once you get saved, you enter into the battle. You're no longer a slave of the devil. You were before. You were led astray by the, 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 the prince of the power of the air. That's what it says in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about putting on the armor of God in order that you may stand against the evil day, that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against angels and powers and principalities. So there's a cosmic battle going on behind the scenes. And in your life, you might see sickness or you might see um, you know, car accidents happen in your family, just certain things. And it's like, boy, there's something that seems beyond just natural. It's almost like there's something unseen that's opposed to me. Or maybe I'm in a depression. Maybe I'm having suicidal thoughts. 
Is it the will of God that we just passively accept that as God's will? Or do we take a stand realizing Satan and his forces are trying to steal, kill, and destroy? And God has given us authority and power to fight back and very much fight back through prayer. So I believe not all that happens is God's will. Jesus healed all these sick people when he came to earth. Was it God's will that they were sick? I don't know. Again, I'm not going to answer all these questions, but he altered circumstances. Wherever he went, he altered circumstances, right? And I would say it's God's ideal will for people not to be sick, right? That that's a byproduct of the fall, and God wants restoration of mind, soul, body, spirit, families, right? So I am given authority. You are given authority as men and women of God, place in the kingdom of God, to pray. In the tail end of Ephesians 6, it says, pray without ceasing, right? With all kinds of supplications and requests. I've come to a realization that my prayers are really important. There are circumstances in my life that I don't like. There are things that I believe God wants for me that I don't have. Going back to James chapter 4, verse 2, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. So if I ask not, according to that verse, there are things up in heaven that I'm not going to get because I didn't ask that God wanted me to get, but I didn't have an understanding that I need to ask him, right? So if I ask him for things, they're going to be released. So a lot of that blessing falls on my decision to say yes to engaging God in prayer. Correct? Correct. Okay, so that's, I think that's really, really, really important to understand The Bible also says that we are to pray according to the will of God. Sometimes we pray according to wants that might be self-destructive or outside of God's timing. And it's important when we pray to have this as our foundation. We pray according to God's heart, according to God's will. The Holy Spirit is given, and Romans 8, it talks about this. We don't know what we should pray for. The Holy Spirit, he, he helps us. So when I pray, I ask for the Holy Spirit to help me, to lead me in my prayer. Okay? Yesterday, I was with some young guys, and God really told me to speak in a, somebody's life. I was prophesying and speaking into his life, and I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah. And so I laid my hand on him, and I just started praying, and God was showing me um, how to lead him into breaking some lies, renouncing falsehoods that gave the enemy authority over his life. And 
so there is greater deliverance. But that kind of prayer, I cannot, I cannot pray ef- effectively on my own understanding. If I pray with the revelatory power of the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to see a lot of fruit. Plus, when I pray for people, I ask God, I say, God, give me your heart for them. You love them. You really, really love them. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it basically says, I can do any Christian act, can have a lot of faith, a lot of knowledge, a lot of this, a lot of that, but I have not love. It's worthless, right? So my prayer, my motive, my foundation for my praying needs to be love. If I don't love the person or people that I'm praying for, I don't think much is going to happen. Okay? Hannah, there's a, a story in the Old Testament. You'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And there's a, a wife named Hannah. And she wasn't a happy wife. She had a, a husband that loved her dearly. But she was very unhappy, in fact, bitterly unhappy, because she had no children. She so wanted a child. And in the Old Testament times, they didn't practice birth control because the family line and the clan was so important. And having children, I mean, they had, they had more kids than the Alexes, you know? They had more kids than the Andersons. Back in the Old Testament, you know what I'm saying? So, so they loved kids. And there was a stigma with any woman that wasn't able to bear a child. There was a reproach. There was a shame and a disgrace that came on there. There was psychological torment that came with not being able to bear a child. So this, this wife who was dearly loved, named Hannah, could not bear children. And she was emotionally tormented. She had an unmet need because you know what? Most women are called to be moms. There is a desire, and most men are called to be dads. There's a desire that God created in our hearts to parent. And if we don't, there tends to be a huge lack of fulfillment. And that's why people have so many pets. And they (laughs) baby them in our culture because they don't know how to deal with their children, so they try and fill the void. There's a little humor, but there's a lot of truth to that. Um, just thought I'd throw that out there. So, thank you, thank you. So what did Hannah do with her pain and her suffering and her dissatisfaction? What did she do? She, yeah, she cries. She cries. She wails. And she goes to Eli, the high priest of Israel at the time. Eli's old, and Eli sees this woman whose lips are moving. I think that's Eli. Eli wants to talk to us right now. So um, I forgive you. Your sins are absolved. Um, so here, here's Eli thinking, you know, here's the right kind of behavior. If you pray, you should pray this way. Well, it says... That in bitterness of soul, bitterness, pain, dissatisfaction, desperation of soul, 
Hannah comes to God and she prays 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 and she she lays her heart down to God. She lets it all out. And Eli thinks she's drunk because he doesn't understand this level of desperation and pain and torment that this woman is living with day after day. So she lets it out to God because she knows God cares and God can change these circumstances. She prays for a child. Does God respond with apathy? No. She wants a child and she says, if I get this child, I am going to devote this child to you. Well, she gets a child. And what is his name? It's Samuel. And who does Samuel become? The greatest prophet in all of Israel. Right? So this, this woman who was so dissatisfied, uh, so much shame and reproach, goes to God with her desperation, lets it all out, lets the mask down, doesn't feel ashamed. And God in his love, he says, I'm not just going to give you a natural guy. I'm going to give you a child with so much destiny that your life is going to be transformed. You're going to be most honored among women, right? Most honored, the mother of the president of Israel, basically. Samuel has that level of authority as the prophet in the land. Her life was transformed. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do abundantly above all we ask or think. It's his desire to exceed our expectations. Hannah suffered for years in emotional torment and dissatisfaction. But she kept coming to God, and that reminds me of a parable in Luke 18 where Jesus says, he says a parable And the point of the parable is that you keep coming to God and you don't give up, right? Some of us here might be desperate. Some of us may have unmet needs. We may have deep wants that God has laid on our heart. And I felt God just really wants to encourage us to continue to labor in prayer and continue to not give up. It might be a health issue. You might be looking for a spouse. You might be wanting whatever. Um, God cares. And we need to continue to lay it all out before him because it will move his heart. He cares that much. Prayer is an opportunity to see God's faithfulness in action. It's an opportunity to get him, get to know him more. When I used to pray, I was more concerned about getting my prayers answered. Now, connecting with God in prayer is the priority. And it's more satisfying and seeing the answers to my prayers. Do I see my prayers get answered? Yeah, a lot of them. There, there are some um, that, that I prayed for years, and then it's like, okay, after eight or nine years, I, I start to see more breakthrough, right? Some things take time. Some things you have to labor, and your character is transformed in the pressing in. Your character is transformed, and when God releases the answer to your prayer then you have the character to steward what you asked for all that time. Okay? So God knows what he's doing. 
And he's building our faith in the not yets, right? He's building our faith. And we're going to switch to communion now. Um, I'm just going to do a, a quick prayer. Father, we just we thank you that you do care about our needs and our wants. I thank you that you are faithful. And we thank you, Lord God, that you sent your Son, that we can enjoy you together, and we can enjoy one another in your presence. And Lord, just the, the word that was spoken, we pray that those seeds would go deep, that faith would be released, the importance of prayer, that you are on the other end of our prayers. You are listening, and your heart is being stirred by our needs and our wants and our pain, our emotions, our hopes, and our fears. You don't respond in apathy. You respond in love, and you take joy when we come to you. I just pray for a, a deep intimacy now, Lord, as we take communion. In Jesus' name. wait for all of us as we're going to be partaking of the bread and the wine together once we've all been able to get the chance to receive that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the power of prayer and all that you've been teaching us in these past weeks. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would embolden your people with faith, embolden each one of us, God, to take hold of the blessing of entering into relationship with you and standing before your face. Thank you that our prayers matter, that our voices matter in heaven, Lord Jesus, that our intercession is heard on high.
the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples after he had clothed himself and after finishing washing their feet, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. And then he took the bread after giving thanks and he broke it. He distributed it to the disciples. He said to them, take and eat. This is my body given for you. This time, go ahead and and take, take of the bread. So that those words of Paul that remind us that we should examine ourselves as we partake of the communion, as we get ready to now partake of the blood of Christ, I want you to just begin to come before the Lord. Remember, He's your Father. He loves you. He brings conviction, but He does not condemn. As we examine ourselves, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to allow the light of your word to shine on our hearts. Reveal to us those places, God, where we have refused to surrender things. Perhaps we've unknowingly failed to surrender things, overlooked things in our lives that before you were offensive, Lord. And we just pray that right now you would speak to each one of our hearts, God. Show us those places where you're, you're, you're pulling something out and you're saying, this is a project for us this week. of a father and a son working on a model airplane. That's what your project before the Lord looks like this week. It's not going to be something that's going to be burdensome. It's going to be something that you get to have fun with because it's going to take you to higher heights. Can you say amen to that? In the same way also after supper, he gave thanks. He took the fourth cup of that meal, which was the cup of redemption. He held it before his disciples and said, drink ye all of it. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. At this time, you can go ahead and take of the cup.
If you want to come up and be a part of the prayer team, please come. 